If you have a Bible with you this evening, our lesson for the sermon is from Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, we have been doing a four or five week series of sermons here in the book of Isaiah. We're up to chapter 7. I'm not sure if we'll do one more chapter or not, but we'll see. Uh, but this is the Lord's Word. We have called this series of sermons to stay calm for Emmanuel is coming. And the reason why is because it's in this passage now. We're going to read it here in just a moment where the Lord will say, I just want to make sure I can reference it again. Look at verse 4 before I read the whole text. Be careful, be quiet. That original word there is stay calm. Uh, to, to quiet down and be calm. And so that's where we get this now. We see the actual chapter from which this series of sermons uh, is here now referenced about be calm for Emmanuel is coming. So we'll read these opening uh, verses here uh, down to verse 17. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. In the days of Ahaz, uh, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, Pekah, uh, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria, the son of Ramalia and the son of Remalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces so that it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And again, the Lord said to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be, let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord God to, test, to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and, the, and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as, as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Uh, this is the end of the reading of God's word. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to be with us in his word. Our Father in heaven, these are times where we need once again uh, to hear from you in your word about Emmanuel. 
our God, who is Lord, who is with us. We pray that you would nurture our hearts in Christ and nurture our hearts, Lord, in the things of Christ and to walk in our Savior's ways. Teach us. We pray especially that you would impart to us the gift of faith to rest in you, to trust in your word, to apply, Lord, in our daily living uh, all that you have commanded, all that is your will, all that you bestow upon us with your promises, and thus walk with our Lord and our God. How we praise you that indeed you are Emmanuel, our God, who is with us. Be with us now, we pray in your word. In Jesus' holy name we ask. Amen. Again, this is Ahaz, the king of Judah. And he fits very, very well with us here at the very end of 2018 as we live here in Houston. He needs help, just as we can well imagine. We, even, even our fellow Houstonians here that live around us, it's a time where we know temptation, we know trial, we know difficulty, and we need help just even as Ahaz needs help. Now, he's not been through a tornado. Uh, he's not experienced a hurricane. He's not facing cancer. He sees before him the coming doom of his own nation, Judah. And it is the almighty nation, that, uh, that superpower of Assyria, Assyria there to the north. But not only is there the mighty, ruthless superpower Assyria, he's also gotten word now that really his closest neighbors, his very friends, so to speak, uh, those that are just nearby, when I say that, neighborly and friendly, they're still enemies, but that's to say they're nearby. Syria and Ephraim, and Ephraim is likely, likely to mean for us here Israel, the northern part of Israel. Remember, we're in this time now where the nation is divided, southern kingdom Judah, northern kingdom Israel. But these two are going to form an alliance, Syria and Ephraim, and they're going to go against him as well. You read, that, read about these things in 2 Chronicles 27 and 28, and also in 1 Kings. And the point being that Ahaz is thinking to himself, I can fix my problem here. I will pay some taxes to Assyria, and maybe Assyria will protect me from these two neighboring nations, Syria and Ephraim. But they're getting ready to attack down south to Judah because they're going to put their own king in place. Anyway, this is some of the trouble that he's faced with here. Not only is he faced with the superpower of Syria looming there before him of his great doom, but these two neighboring nations, Syria and as well Ephraim. Now, the book of Hebrews puts this whole matter that when a superpower would take over a nation, the book of Hebrews reminds us that there's not only the physical enemy, even as Judah is experiencing this now, even as Judah is experiencing a physical enemy, the book of Hebrews reminds us out of chapter 2 that Christ, who is the Son of God, he came. Why? That he might destroy the devil of the one, destroy, destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through, uh, who through fear of death, they are subject to lifelong slavery. That's why I point that passage out. Assyria was going to come and make slaves of the Judeans. That's their physical enemy. They would take them captive. They would ship them off up to uh, Assyria itself, a northern land. 
and to then take captive of Judah is this tyranny of oppression. And the book of Hebrews recognizes there that there are those, there, there are those who had this oppression and this bondage of this fear of death because of a lifelong slavery, not to a physical nation, but now to Satan. And so we're reminded that there's like an enemy behind the enemy. There's an enemy behind the enemy, behind the physical enemy. Satan is depicted here as one of oppression and tyranny, whom Jesus came uh, indeed to uh, plunder and thus to free us from that slavery. Now, Ahaz is being called to faith. Ahaz is being called to faith. Over in chapter 8, we'll read these words. Do not fear what they fear, uh, nor be in dread. But the Lord, uh, Lord of hosts, your God, uh, him you are to honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. That's Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. God is calling Judah. God is calling Ahaz uh, to faith in the midst of his trouble. Now, you know, and I, I sent out that email this week, you know that how our own fears can turn us right away into anxieties of all kinds. And anxieties can turn us to self-reliance, right? Anxieties and worries can turn us to self-reliance. Uh, and self-reliance is sneaky, and it's worthy of damnation. And see, with self-reliance, we can then spin ourselves into knots with worries and all kinds of fears. And the book of James says it's also associated with doubt. And to be a doubter, that's also connected with being a divided man or a woman, a double-minded man or woman. And James tells us such a person is unstable in all of his ways. And that's Ahaz. That's why Isaiah tells him, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You're unstable in all your ways. So what's the answer tonight? What's the way out of fear and worry and anxiety and insecurity? What's the way out and turning away from self-reliance? The way out is learning, indeed, to trust the Lord. Do not fear what they fear. The Lord is to be the one whom you fear. And so how does he minister to Ahaz in this story? How does he minister to the house of David? That's Judah. How does God minister to us in our fears and worries and cares and insecurities? Two lessons tonight. Our God addresses unbelief. He addresses it plainly. He addresses unbelief. And then he also provides a son with promises. He also provides a son with promises. Here's the first lesson. He addresses unbelief. Listen to Isaiah 7. Here we open with verse 2 once again here in the passage. And the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of a forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz and shear uh, Jashub, your son. You go out with your son. And at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you. Ahaz is fearful of the future. He's gone out to this upper pool. He's there near the washer's field. And what is he doing out there? He's out there to check on the water supply. Again, the lesson tonight at this point is our God addresses us on unbelief. Now, why is he out there checking on the water supply? He knows he's about ready to be sieged here. There's a battle looming. 
And you know all about Old Palestine, right? Old Palestine always had trouble with having sufficient water supply. There's no river or stream that flows to the city of Jerusalem where Ahaz is king. So water had to be stored in some form of either containers or uh, pools of some kind to be contained. It might be the equivalent of what we see around here in the Houston area of a water tower. <laughs> so what is he doing? He's out there checking on the water, and that can seem like a responsible thing to do. He wears the crown for Judah. He's wanting to protect his people. Maybe it is a responsible thing to be out there checking on the water supply because this battle is looming. But actually, the context here shows he's a man of unbelief. He's a man of worry. He's a man of fear. And that's why we have here in verse 4, Isaiah say to him, Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. But there's more going on as well. In his own checking on the water supply and the water resources, he is spinning a web of worry. And that's what we do as well even in the midst of our responsibilities. We can have motivations and inner turmoil of spinning a web of worry. And that web of worry snags then with it all kinds of fears and all kinds of unbelief. That web of worry that we will spin in the heart, those ruminations and those vain imaginations, will catch and snag vain imaginations themselves. All the what-ifs questions that we ask, what if, what if, what if. And that's what spinning in unbelief this web will do with its worry. You see, at this water supply, Ahaz is looking at his earthly resources. And he believes that that is his foundation. He's looking at earthly resources. I was reminded this week in light of the passage about Jesus' own ministry to the woman at the well. She's there getting water. And Jesus has stopped himself being weary and tired and thirsty. And he approaches her about the water. And he tells her of his living water. Remember that question she asks, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with, and this well is too deep. And she's thinking of earthly resources. See, and he's drawing her out away from those earthly resources. Jesus knows of her own self-reliance. Woman, you are thinking of the water that leads to thirst again. I tell you, he who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give becomes in a man a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And you see, water in Israel's history, being an earthly resource, is either a blessing or it's a sign of judgment. It's either thirst that leads to life or it's a watery grave leading to judgment. And so even there, standing at the washer's field at the end of this conduit, checking his water supply, Isaiah confronts him saying, be calm, be quiet, do not fear what they fear. He has been spinning a web of unbelief. And so God sends Isaiah the prophet with this message of hope. And he tells him, yes, you have these two neighboring nations that are about ready to take over. 
and try to drop you off the throne and, and establish their own king. Verse 4, but don't be afraid of Syria and Israel. They are but smoldering stumps of firebrands. And Ahaz, he's to look at what God is saying. This is good news for you, Ahaz. These nations whom you fear will not stand. Verse 8, they will be broken to pieces. And so Isaiah starts to give Ahaz help with his unbelief with this matter of a promise. Do not fear. I'm with you. Don't dread what they dread. Uh, I'm with you in this, that they will, they will be plundered. They will be broken to pieces. But also he starts in a small way with an object lesson of a son. That's why Isaiah takes his own son. He takes Shear Jashub out with him there to the water. Because even Isaiah having his own son as an object lesson nearby is to remind Ahaz and the house of Judah that there will be offspring to live. This boy is present up there in verses 1 and 2. This boy is present there at this water conduit reminding Ahaz, a remnant will survive. My son is here, Isaiah says in so many words. And this is giving now reinforcement as to what is now to come. Because secondly, not only does God, you see, address the unbelief, calls it what it is. He's trembling. He's in fear. God gives him promises that these two nations will be broken in pieces before him. And he gives him an object lesson of his own, Isaiah's own son. But now he also provides a wonderful promise here, starting at verse 10. He provides a son. Here's another way out of unbelief. He provides a son with promise, specifically Emmanuel. Look at verse 10. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord uh, to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary me, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now what I want to emphasize here is that, I, that Ahaz has been churning away. He's been churning away with secret fears, that inner turmoil, uh, days on end, worrying. You know, someone has said that worry is like a rocking chair. You've probably heard this, worry is like a rocking chair. It's a whole lot of movement, but you don't go anywhere, all right? Well, this king, in the context, this people had a rocking chair. Months of rocking away in faithlessness, anxiety. And you know, we have habits that way. We have those default ways of handling, handling the stress. Default ways with habits of handling turmoil and heartache. And that which indeed would bring anxiety to our own hearts. And such habits can harden in us. I can remember when I was a chaplain in the hospital back in Grants Pass, Oregon. I was a chaplain, chaplain there in the hospital and I would often say to the patient, there are wonderful promises in God's word. Are you ready to receive his promises? I would put it that way because oftentimes, sadly, people are not ready to receive God's promises. I would certainly say that with tenderness. I'd say it with graciousness. Are you ready? Will you give yourself to the promises of God, you see? 
Some are not ready. Why? Because some have nurtured hardness. But our God is relentless. Our God keeps, in his patience, pursuing us in our insecurities and fears. And that's why we have it, verse 10, and the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. He won't let us go. Right in the midst of our hardness, right in the midst of hardships and that tension and trial and stress and strain, our God keeps coming to us with promises. And that's why brothers, sisters, that's why a brother will call you on the phone. That's why a sister will speak with you after a worship service, bringing the promises of God to you. It's God's goodness, once again, still piercing the heart, still being persistent, still, still in, his, in his, his unrelenting ways, pursuing us in his grace. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. And now he invites him to ask for a sign. Ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be a deep. It could be anything, as deep as you'll find in Sheol, or way up high and grandiose that you'll find in the heavens. Whatever sign you will be that you would ask for. And again, the point is God gives his promises, but he also gives object lessons, a sign. And our God has done that with the preached word. He gives us his promises in the preached word, and he gives us the signs of the Lord's table and of the baptismal font, signs to seal the promises of God. Similarly, ask of a sign, Ahaz. And then he says, but I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. One writer says this, his heart could not hear the offer of the Lord to comfort him. What went through his head, who knows what went through his head? Did he think that there was a trick being played? Was he being set up for something? Could he simply not believe that what he was being told was true? Perhaps for Ahaz, it seemed like it was impossible for things to ever change in his circumstances. But you see, our God is unrelenting, and he's gracious in taking the initiative, even though Ahaz will say, I will not ask. Kind of sounds a little righteous for him to say it that way, but not at all. He's a man of unbelief. He's a man of hardness. That's to say, handling his fears his own way. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Sounds like obedience, but it's also an indication that he's been stewing and meditating and churning, which has led to this sort of resistance with the Lord's invitation. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 2. Do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience of God? Good Shepherd Church family, that's for us. Do we sometimes presume on the riches and the forbearance and the kindness of our God? Knowing that it's God's kindness that's meant to lead us to repentance. When we, when we wake up in the morning, when we rest after in an evening sleep, when we have a meal that we would enjoy, when we have modern conveniences that we have in, in the city life here, various ways of the life of the church, various ways of fellowship and brotherly care, various ways of the preached word, various ways of elder care and, and diaconal service that would be for our benefit. These are the riches of the kindness and the forbearance and the patience of our God, all intended to lead us to repentance. But what does Paul say? Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, his kindness and his favor is to lead us to receive his promises 
and lead us to receive the blessings and the fruit of the blessings of his signs of the Lord's Supper and of uh, baptism that seal the world word. Our God continues in his own faithfulness, even though we are faithless. And that's why he says in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's not going to let us go. (laughs) Can you testify about that tonight in your own life? Can you look back on your own life and see how God uh, sent to you this brother, this pastor, this elder, this family, this single person, brought him into your life, her into your life, Because he will not let you go. He himself is working. He himself is providing. That's our God. That's our graciousness of our God. That's that's the generosity of our God. He won't let us go. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what is this sign all about? Conservative Bible teachers are puzzled by this verse. Why a virgin? Who is this child? Did this get fulfilled in Isaiah's own day? Uh, Maybe it gets fulfilled 60, 70 years from this time of Isaiah's own day. Maybe it's Hezekiah, because after all, Hezekiah is Ahaz's son. For our emphasis tonight, for our emphasis tonight, let's stay with the theme of a child not ready to to immediately identify it in its historic period. But let's stay with this theme. We know that Matthew in his gospel, that in his gospel, it's going to find its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, right? We know that verse, right? Matthew chapter 1, the angel appears to Joseph, Mary's husband. Do not fear, take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's stay with that emphasis that this is a child of God's provision. It's a child to be born. A child who is named Emmanuel, God with us. Now, let's step for just a moment. Let's step into Ahaz's situation. Let's step into Judah's situation. Judah has been given King David. That's back in history here. But David is now seated on the throne. That's to say the line of David is now on the throne. David himself at one point had been placed there on the throne, ruling in Jerusalem, ruling in Judah. And those wonderful promises had been given to David and the line of David, that there would be a son of David who would reign. So David, keep in mind, David has this promise of a seated session of his line. That's to say, a succession of kings from the line of David, a wonderful promise that the Davidic line would be seated there on the throne in Jerusalem. And yet this one to be promised is an eternal king, a son of who for eternity would reign. He is David's son. Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up up from your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The point being, 
hope would be found in a child. The offspring of David's own line. And that's why you have over in Isaiah chapter 9, a son will be born to us, a child will be given to us. It's the provision of help and hope through a child with promises. Now, Jesus told us in Matthew 18, he put a child in the midst of them. The disciples are all around. Remember, they just asked, who is the greatest? And will the greatest serve with you in sitting at your right hand and your, le and your left hand, Jesus, in your kingdom? He put a child in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you convert and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why a child? Why resting in the hope of a child to be born even for Ahaz and the nation of Judah? Because the Bible tells us right here, whoever humbles himself like a child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The child mentioned here in Isaiah 7 is also the same child who's mentioned that a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse and he shall delight in the fear of the Lord. <laughs> delight in the fear of the Lord. And this radical transformation will take place. There's hope in this child. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat and a child shall lead them. A child? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Our God is with us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the weakness of the delivery of a child by the Virgin Mary, the weakness of being then put into that straw box a feed bin, not royalty, not in a king's palace, but in a feed bin. The weakness of one who's going to serve, even commanding the animals all around and the Easterners of the Magi to come and worship. The nations would be coming to this one who's a king at his birth, even in the weakness of a child. Why a virgin out of Isaiah 7? Why a virgin out of Matthew chapter 1? It's all reminiscent that our God is the God who promises in the midst of weakness and trial. When Sarah is in her aged years and her womb is good as dead, only God can bring that child to conceive, right? And it's Hannah there in 1 Samuel chapter 1, knowing her own weakness because there are troubles of the Philistines all around. And she says, Lord, if you'll only hear my prayer, I'll give you this son Samuel to her. And her womb is closed, but our God hears her prayer and opens her womb and gives her Samuel. This is in the line of how our God comes to a woman in weakness or a woman in barrenness, a woman in trial and difficulty. And through God's purposes and God's promises, he does the miraculous. It's a virgin who conceives, unheard of. But a child shall lead them. Again, we've stepped into Ahaz's time and Judah's time. Ahaz is out checking on the water supply, and Judah is seeking to muster an army. God says it's going to be through the weakness of a little person. 
a child that bears my name, Emmanuel, God with us. A child who is God himself to be with us. It's not earthly resources of a water supply. It's not early, earthly resources of mustering an army. Our God comes because man has his plight of his sinful condition. And so Jesus comes to be our righteousness and then to go to Calvary's cross to be our forgiveness. The man, woman, or child tonight who places his faith in Christ. Is your faith in Christ tonight? Your faith is not to be, we're not being called to earthly resources. We're we're being called to heavenly resources that our God is with us. Our God has come. And our trust is in the Lord. Martin Luther had it for us in in the great hymn. You see, did we in our own strength confide? Being tangled up in the web of worry, fears and insecurities of all kinds, unbelief. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, the child of God's provision? Friends, in the Christian life, in the Christian life, it's going back to Christ and walking in the promises of our God. There is no other answer. We go to Christ and we walk in the promises. We go to Christ and we take the promises that our God is with us. We go to Christ and his promises are with us whether it be in prayer, and brothers and sisters, that's what, that's, what, that's what God does through prayer. Prayer is the start of God's promises being fulfilled in your life. Whether it be prayer or in the word or in fellowship, ministering to one another, in stepping out in obedience to go to someone who needs a word of encouragement or correction. In all these different ways, our God is with us. We go to Christ and we step out on the promises and that is our strength in the midst of fears and worries and insecurities. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Ahaz is called to calmness. But he had been drilling down deep and spiraling downward in unbelief. And our God says, out of my grace and out of my generosity, in my unrelenting love, I come to you. And I will give you this promise. Okay, I will give you a sign. This virgin shall be with child. And she will name him Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take these thoughts and heart, uh, what's in our heart tonight, and powerfully bring to us hope. Give us once again Christ Jesus, focusing in on his perfect work for us. He said that indeed, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has everlasting life. He is the living God with heaven and earth, God enfleshed, incarnate God, 
and has gone to Calvary's cross for our sins. Thank you, Father, for your provision of your Son and the many promises we have with him. Freely as you have given him, you will give us all things in him. Father, build us up in faith. Take worry away. Uh, drown out the fear. Silence, Lord, the matters of anxieties. And may we repent of our sins, turning to Christ, and embracing the many promises. You're our God who's gracious in every way. Be our help and strength now, we pray. And we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.